going on, Mr. or Mrs. Podcast Listener? Welcome to episode number 11 of Trail Tales, a podcast where I, Kyle O'Grady, a thru-hiker and peak bagger, chat with other thru-hikers and hiking enthusiasts about their experiences on the trail. Right now, I'm doing the introduction. I just ate a bunch of chicken wings and I'm not feeling too good, but I gotta get it done. And I'm really excited to share my chat today with Joseph Pecorero, who hiked both the Appalachian Trail and the Arizona Trail this past summer. We focused our conversation today mostly on the Arizona Trail, and we pretty much just give a general overview of what this lesser known trail is. And of course, we talk about Joseph's experiences on his through hike. I learned a lot about hiking in Arizona, including that through hikers actually share water sources with cattle along the trail, which just blows my mind. And yeah, it was a really cool chat. And Joseph, when you hear this, thank you very, very much for talking to me and recording the episode. All right, here's my chat with Joseph Pecorero, Arizona Trail Class of 2018. Psych! I gotta say a couple more things. Those of you that listen to the show probably were thrown off by that, or probably not. You probably don't really care. You probably weren't paying attention. But yeah, a couple more things here. Email. That is the first thing I got to talk about. Send me an email, trailtalespod at gmail.com. If you've listened to multiple episodes of the show and you have any feedback or advice for me, I'd really, really love to hear any suggestions for trails or guests you would like me to have on send me an email. It'll be really cool. I got three emails since the last episode, which is awesome. That is way more emails than I've gotten since I started the show all in one week. So those of you that emailed me, you know who you are. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your kind words and your advice. Okay. Let's say you don't have an email account. Let's say you don't trust Google and you don't want to put your information on their servers. That is okay. You can also hit me up H-M-U on <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter. Trail Tales Pod. That is the handle. Tweet me. Instagram. DM me. Tag me in some useless stuff. I don't know. Let's interact. Let's have fun. Let's talk about hiking and just be hiking nerds. Okay. Next thing. Reviews. That's right. Probably hear podcast hosts say this all the time, but it is really important. If you like the show... I would really, really appreciate if you left me a five-star review on iTunes. And if you do that and you leave a little message attached to it, I promise you I will read it at the beginning of the next episode. So that's actually what I'm going to do right now. I got a couple more reviews this past week. And one person called the Mets Mess Centipedes. I don't know what the hell that means, but... Whoever this person is left me a five-star review and a little message attached to it. They wrote, Man, I just spent so much time watching Trekking On's videos. Great podcast. For those of you who don't know what Trekking On is, it is a YouTube channel. I had a conversation with the founder of that channel on episode 9, I believe, a couple episodes ago. So you should go check that out. But yeah, whoever Mets Mess Centipedes, I hope that's not something obscene that I just don't understand. Yeah, I, I think it's fine. Whoever you are, thank you very much for the review. I encourage everybody else to go leave me a review, as I already said. Yeah. Also, another good way you can help me out is to tell a friend. Say you've got a friend who is 
planning on hiking the Appalachian Trail or any other long distance backpacking trail in the near future, send them the podcast, recommend it to them, or even better yet, maybe you have a friend that you don't like, then you could send them the podcast, they will probably hate it, and then they will never talk to you ever again and you won't have to deal with it. I am the solution to all your problems. Okay, let's get into the episode for real this time. I promise no more psychs. My conversation with Joseph Pecorero, Appalachian Trail and Arizona Trail class of 2018. Okay, round two. I'm here with Joseph Pecorero. I killed it again. I was having trouble pronouncing Joseph's last name before we uh, started recording here because, you know, I'm just so professional. But Joseph, trail name Sweatlines. What is going on, man? Hey, doing good. How are you doing? I am doing very good. Thank you for asking me that the second time in the last five minutes. I'm doing just as good as I was the first time. So that's sweet. Now, Today's episode is going to be really cool. Joseph not only hiked the Appalachian Trail this past summer, but he also hiked the Arizona Trail. So he did these two crazy long hikes back to back, and I think what we're going to focus on today is going to be the Arizona Trail because as some of my regular listeners know, all 10 of them, they know that most of these episodes have been on the Appalachian Trail, and I'm trying to switch it up a little bit. I really don't know too much about the Arizona Trail, so I think it'll be fun to uh, learn a little bit about it and certainly learn a lot about Joseph's hike and his experience on it. So with that said, I think we're going to start, Joseph, the same way I like to start pretty much every single episode. And I want to know, how did you get into long-distance backpacking? Um, Feel free to go into a lot of detail about it. How did you learn about the AT and what kind of pushed you over the edge and made you want to do this, you know, crazy 2000 mile hike? Yeah. So I, um, I learned about the Appalachian trail through a few friends in college. Uh, one of the spring breaks that we had, they were going up and doing some hiking and, uh, they invited me to come along. And so I decided to do it and it was a pretty crazy trip. It was, uh, in early March, right after a snowstorm had hit. So we were hiking through a lot of snow, uh, and it was a pretty, pretty crazy experience for a first backpacking trip. Yeah. But I, uh, I fell in love with it and I, uh, went back with them a couple of times to do a couple more smaller sections of the AT. Um, and then, uh, I just kind of really fell in love with it and decided that I wanted to do the whole thing. Um, it helped a lot because I knew Baker, who you had on as a uh, previous guest. Yep, episode number set eight, my seven or eight, <laughs> I can't remember, yeah. one of those episodes. He, he was, for those of you that have heard uh, that episode, he was the uh, Florida Trail guy. Yeah, so we uh, we worked together, uh, and he was talking about going and doing the trail, and we got to talking about it a lot, and uh, after just talking, I was like, yeah, this is definitely something that, that I want to do. So where were you guys, or you don't even have to say the name of the company if you don't want to, but like, what was the like industry you guys were working in when you knew each other? Uh, so we were both uh, software developers and we worked for a company in South Florida. And actually before that, we also went to a school together at University of Florida. Okay. So you guys have known each other for a while. So, so that's kind of funny. So this company just lost like two of their employees to go become like 
hobos in the woods pretty much <laughs> yeah it was pretty funny because baker left a couple months before me since he was doing the florida trail yep and so when i quit because we were on uh we were on like adjacent teams as well so like we were working on similar stuff and uh, so when i left i knew that it was going to be it, it was going to be interesting quitting right after he had quit to do the same <laughs> thing <laughs> if you don't mind me asking like this is baker had actually told me this before so i think it's pretty funny how did um I guess you weren't really there to hear the reaction, but I don't know. How do you think uh, the company took it? Like, I'm just kind of curious because I'm also a software developer. So yeah, well, it's actually kind of funny because they, I think they actually thought that I was going to be quitting to move to a different company because uh, I had just spent some time out in San Francisco and stuff. So they thought that some company out there was oh. going to be poaching me. Uh, so when I was like, when I was talking to my manager about it, he was like, oh, you know, you're not leaving us for a company out in San Francisco, are you? And I'm like, well, I'm not leaving you. <laughs> for that but i am leaving to go hike the appalachian trail and baker i believe went back to that company as well do you have any uh plans of going back at all or i guess what are your what are your plans uh, what are you up to now that you've gotten back from these two crazy hikes yeah he uh he did go back um i do not have any plans to go back uh, it's not something that i'm opposed to doing i did like that company a lot um but i have uh, i've been interviewing with some other companies so gotcha I, uh, I don't think you'll have a problem given the software developer market and the fact that you have two badass through hikes on your resume because everybody knows that software companies just love that shit, right? Oh yeah, they don't care at all about your programming ability. They just care that you can hike a lot. Who cares about data structures? All that matters is the miles. But anyways, <laughs> let's get back into uh, hiking a little bit uh, instead of boring people with computer talk. So you mentioned that you kind of were exposed to the AT and, you know, the whole long distance backpacking thing when you were in college. Um, you mentioned you did a couple sections there. I kind of wanted to ask what uh, sections of the AT did you do when you were in college? Um, so I had done from, it was from Woody Gap up through up to Fontana Dam, or sorry, up through the first half of the Smokies. Okay. So I had done, I, had done, I think it's like a, about 200 miles. Gotcha. I figured it was somewhere in the south because you're from Florida and you said it was in March, which hiking in New England in March is not advised unless you are experienced in winter hiking. Yeah. But no, that's cool. I actually, okay, so before we get into a little bit more about the Arizona Trail, I guess one of the first questions that popped into my head when I kind of heard about your whole story and, and everything from Baker is, were you originally planning on going to the Arizona trail after you finished the AT or was that just like kind of a spur of the moment? Like, Oh yeah, I'll just go hike another 800 miles, like just for shits and gigs. So I definitely had planned on doing the Arizona trail at some point, And I wasn't sure if I was going to fit it in this year or not. I started the AT uh, in May or actually it was the last day of April. I started the Appalachian trail. So I didn't think that I would have time to finish that and do the Arizona trail. But pretty quickly, I realized that I was on pace to finish the Appalachian Trail in about four months. So when, as soon as I figured that out, I basically decided that I was going to do the Arizona Trail as well. Because it also worked out pretty well because for the Arizona Trail, there's basically two time frames you can do it in based on the weather windows. You can either do it in uh, early spring heading northbound or late fall heading southbound. Uh, and so it worked out for me that I could hit the late fall southbound window. So... You finished the AT. Did you take a, or I guess I should 
ask, um, so you said you started in May. When did you actually finish the AT? Like what day were you on top of Katahdin? So I started the last day of April and I finished the last day of August. So it was exactly four months. So Baker started what? It was like May, I know it was like slight, May 8th, I want to say or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was like, it was a little over a week after me. Okay. And then, so you guys never saw each other on your hikes at all? Nope. Because you just took right off. Yeah. (laughs) So then how much time off did you have between the AT and your Arizona trail hike? I had a little over a month off. I was originally planning on less time off because I didn't want to be on the Arizona trail too late because it does get really cold on the Arizona trail, especially up north. Um, Up north in the northern part of the Arizona trail, you are at an elevation of like seven to 9,000 feet pretty consistently. Um, And so if you're there too late, then it'll be really cold. Uh, And so I wanted to start kind of mid-September, but a few things happened and that pushed it back into October. So I ended up starting on October 9th. For those of you that heard Baker's episode, uh, he did talk a little bit about how he hiked with you for about half-ish of the trail. Did you like wait for him to finish up the AT at all? Or like, how did him coming along with you kind of factor into your plans? I'm, I'm just kind of curious because I remember him talking about it because we kind of finished up. We hiked together from like Gorham to the top of Katahdin. And I, and I remember him saying kind of throughout those couple weeks that he was thinking about heading out there. But I don't know. I, I just kind of want to know like how that, how he coming along like factored into your uh, your start date or your plans or whatever. Yeah. So he was originally planning on meeting me on the trail wherever I was at the time, which was probably going to be somewhere around Flagstaff. Um, but I ended up delaying my trip a little bit because uh, there was a lot of bad weather out in Arizona at the time. They were getting some remnants from a hurricane that was out uh, near Southern California or Mexico. And a lot of the bands were sitting the Arizona Trail. And one of the big reasons I wanted to do the Arizona Trail after the Appalachian Trail was to get away from the rain. And so I wanted to wait a little bit to not get as much of that. And so because I waited a little bit of extra time, it allowed Baker to be able to start with me. Okay, makes sense. Um, from my understanding, you, you guys, I mean, we're going to get into all this stuff in just a second, but you guys still got some rain and some bad weather though, correct? Yeah, we got some rain, some snow, and some hail. You got it all, all the precipitation, yep. a nice healthy dose of it. I, I managed to get through the entire Appalachian Trail without any snow, but as soon as I got to the Arizona Trail, the snow came for me. I kind of want to learn a little bit more about the Arizona Trail, I guess. So I think so far all we've really talked about is that it's like 800 miles long and that at one point it's pretty high and can get some cold weather. So why don't you just kind of take me through and explain what exactly the Arizona Trail is. Pretend you're talking to somebody who you know might be familiar with the Appalachian Trail but isn't really isn't a, a hiking nerd like you and I are, I guess. Um, just kind of give a general overview of what it is, you know, where it goes, and I guess just what the Arizona Trail is all about. Um, so the Arizona Trail is about 800 miles long. I think it's uh, closer to like 780, and it runs north and south through pretty much the middle of Arizona. Uh, so it starts at the Arizona border with Utah, and it goes all the way south to the Arizona border with Mexico. So the trail is not, some people might think that it's just kind of like desert the whole time, uh, but it's actually not. It's really, uh, it really has quite a diverse landscape throughout the whole trail. uh, And it hits a lot of really cool highlights. Um, It goes right through the middle of the Grand Canyon. uh, So that's super cool. 
Uh, it also goes through some other really cool spots in Arizona, like the Mogollon Rim, and it hits the Sky Islands in southern Arizona, which are pretty famous for being these really tall uh, mountain ranges in the middle of a flat, low-lying desert. Okay. Uh, and that presents some really, some really cool uh, hiking. It sounds like there's a lot of uh, diversity, I guess, just in the the scenery, the environment on this trail. I know that's uh, that's something that I discovered when I was doing some research before we started talking here. I just watched a couple of YouTube videos and I was kind of surprised to see that, you know, despite the fact that it's all within the same state, it's it, unlike the Appalachian Trail, there's like, I mean, yeah, I, I just said it like there's just a, a, a pretty big difference in the terrain as you kind of go along. I'm going to ask you about that a little bit more in just a second. But first, I kind of want to know a little bit more just kind of general questions about the Arizona Trail, I guess, because like I said, I'm really not too familiar with it. You probably don't know the exact number off the top of your head, but do you have like a ballpark of how many people attempt through hikes of the Arizona Trail like per year? Uh, yeah, I'm really not sure. And I, I know it's definitely going up a lot. I, I think it might have been somewhere near 100 that attempted it in the spring um, this year. I'm not sure how many attempted it in the fall, but it is normally less than the fall. And on the trail, I we only saw maybe around 10 other through hikers. Oh, wow. So definitely did not see a lot of uh, a lot of people on the trail. Yeah, no, that uh, that's very different from the uh, Appalachian Trail, huh? You probably saw yeah. 10 people a day, if you, I'm assuming. If you're like me, I know I saw <laughs> probably more than that some days. 10 would probably be a minimum, honestly. So that must have been pretty crazy. I guess, I guess to kind of jump into some of the differences between the AT and the Arizona Trail, which is kind of what I was going to transition into next. So that, that sounds like a pretty big difference there. So how was it, I guess, going from the AT, which obviously very popular trail, probably the most not probably. It's definitely the most popular or long distance backpacking trail uh, in existence. You know, of course, you kind of starting later and doing a pretty quick hike. You were hiking right through the bubble by the end of your hike. I imagine. I know I was kind of doing the same thing. So how how was it going from that kind of experience? You know, just the was just being saturated with a lot of people for better or for worse, and then dropping yourself off in the middle of Arizona on a trail that only sees about a hundred, like you said, ish through hikers a year. Uh, it, it was definitely quite a different experience. Uh, I think the experience on the Arizona trail was something that I was looking for a little bit more than the, uh, the crowded nature of the Appalachian trail. Okay. Um, there were a few days, just the solitude uh, of the Arizona trail was really nice. Uh, there was this one section in the Matazal wilderness which was actually one of my favorite sections on the arizona trail and uh we didn't see anybody for like two whole days that we were going through that wow uh, and yeah uh, and there were well we didn't see a lot of people that were through hiking the trail uh there were some other people there it was hunting season through most of the time that i was on the arizona trail and so anytime that we were near for service roads or something like that uh it would be pretty common to see some hunters out there um, but, but yeah, it was definitely a lot different. Um, but even though there wasn't as many people on the trail, there's still a pretty good trail community on the Arizona trail. Uh, it's not quite the same as on the AT, 
but um, there are plenty of like they've, they've done a lot of work on the Arizona Trail to make sure that the towns are aware of the Arizona Trail and oh, okay. that there's places to stay and that you can get resupplies pretty easily and that kind of stuff. Um, so it was still it, it still had somewhat of a community experience. And some of the towns too were really, uh, were very trail friendly. Um, and there were some trail angels along the way too that were, you know, just awesome and super helpful. Um, one of the big things on the Arizona Trail is that there's not, uh, there's not a lot of water sources uh, or the water sources are a lot further apart than on something like the Appalachian Trail and the water sources are not nearly as high quality. Um, and so a lot of times, there uh there'll be places for trail angels to stash water for people uh and that's like super helpful out there okay yeah you you <laughs> i'm not gonna lie you pretty much just hit on like half of my questions just in that one answer alone that's great um so i kind of want to dive into some of those details a little bit more because this is kind of the stuff that i'm curious about you know primarily only having ever hiked on the east coast i did one it wasn't even a backpacking trip. It was just a couple day hikes out in Glacier National Park in Montana. But other than that, I am only used to hiking in green, green trees and not having to worry about having too little water, but having to worry about being soaked in rain and mud all the time. So just a, a very different experience than something I'm used to. So on that note, I know you mentioned about the, uh, the water caches a little bit. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about that? How is it like organized? I guess how do hikers find out about them? And like, I guess I'm just kind of shooting off the top of my head here. I, I guess can you like rely on these water caches like for sure, or do you still kind of want to like plan around them not necessarily being there? Yeah, so you definitely cannot rely on any of the public water caches. Um, there is most of the places that the public caches are, you can also cache water privately. Uh, for yourself so um if oh, you really? did yeah so like a lot of times it's just it's literally just like a spot next to a road crossing that people just know is a good spot to cache water because it's accessible by vehicle um and so if you want to cache water for yourself there you can and for the most part nobody's going to touch it if you put your name on it right like, right people on the arizona trail are like they understand um you know, they, they understand not to take that unless it's like a life or death situation. For right, them. right. Um, and there's also some uh, bear boxes uh, in some areas near trailheads that um, are specifically for water caches. And most of those, I'm I'm fairly certain, are just maintained by uh, just trail angels, just volunteers that uh, just want to do that. And so you can't really rely on them. Um, the best way to know if there's going to be water there or not is um, just by using some hooks where it has comments from people who might have been there within the past week or so. And if someone ahead of you has said that there's 20 gallons of water in a cache, then it's probably still going to be there when you get there. Okay. So that was actually another like random question I was going to ask is if there was a, uh, gut hooks app for the Arizona trail, which it sounds like there is. So obviously that's a, that, that's, I've talked about gut hook on other episodes of the show, but that's definitely, I, I feel like that's it's got to be like such a useful tool then if people are leaving like, I guess, thorough comments about the water and stuff like how like how updated were those gut hook comments? Because I know on the AT, there would be some times where there would be comments that were like pretty like outdated, I guess. And that's a really popular trail. So like how like up to date were the comments and stuff on the Arizona trail gut hook about the uh, water? Yeah, for the most part, the comments on gut hooks were pretty up to date. And the reason for that is because of 
just because there's a lack of water in general, people who are hiking the trail know that the, a lot of the water sources can run dry and the water caches may or may not be there. <clears throat> and so it's a lot, it, it's almost necessary. I know it's not necessary to use gut hooks out there, but it definitely helps a lot because when people are updating it, which they are because they know how critical it is out there, uh, it, it just makes it so much easier to know how many water sources there are up ahead and if a water cache is filled. Because a lot of the time too, the water sources can dry up. Um, for our hike specifically, the water sources were mostly pretty good because of a surprisingly wet October. Um, but a lot of times the water sources will run dry and looking in the past history of gut host comments, there would be water sources that would be plentiful for me, but were running dry in, in previous years. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I guess this is probably like the million dollar question when it comes to uh, like sketchy water on different backpacking trails. This is something I've never had to experience before. So my question is, I guess it sounds like there was a lot of water at least com compared to normal for your hike, but I guess put yourself in the shoes of an Arizona trail hiker who's hiking in a normal period for the amount of uh, natural water sources being you know usable. How much water, I know it would depend on section to section, so I guess how much water in like the driest section do you think a hiker would have to carry like at a time? Um, so I, I never carried more than three liters of water. Uh, that was the most I ever had to carry. Um, if you, I also hike pretty fast, and right. so that helped a lot. And there were a few times that uh, most of the time spent in between water sources was overnight, not during the day when it was a lot hotter and you need to drink a lot more water. Yep. Um, so, I mean, you, you might need to carry a, a lot. I don't, I don't know the exact amount, but you, there's a good chance that there's a 30, 30 mile water carry in there somewhere for you. Oh, wow. Um, and the thing too is when resources necessarily good, um, a lot of the resources on the Arizona trail are, uh, cattle tanks. So there's a lot of cows out on the Arizona trail. Cow wait, and say that in cattle tanks. Yeah. Is that, is, is that what I think it is? Cause that sounds kind of gross. <laughs> It's very gross. Uh, basically, so ba basically what happens is there's a lot of ranchers out in Arizona and there's a lot of cows. And so the cows are, you know, out there eating the grass and stuff. And so the cows need water. Uh, and so the cows, there's different, there's different kinds of ways that they do it. Sometimes it's just like a, a giant hole in the dirt that's meant for, that's designed so that the water, when it does rain, uh, kind of flows down into uh, into the hole. Uh, sometimes there's like these big metal tanks that kind of feed a trough or something like that. Um, and a lot of times you can get the water from either the big metal tanks or uh, from the giant dirt holes. Um, but <laughs> those water sources can be really gross. But when that's the yeah. only water out there, you have to you have to drink it. There was actually uh, one of the first water sources on the trail was one of those like dirt holes. And um, looking in the water, there was all kinds of gross stuff swimming around and one of the things was like some alien looking fish and uh we ended up looking up to see what it was and it's a tadpole shrimp uh, oh so, god yeah it was it was really gross but it was only water so we uh we drank the water oh dude that's so crazy because that's so like different coming from the at because on the at i remember i wasn't super picky about it but there was a lot of a lot of the time where we'd get to a water source that was like kind of near like a, a farm field or something and friends of mine would just like refuse to drink it. They'd be like, no, I'm not going to drink that. And here you are, 
it's not like it's just a stream that's near a farm like on the AT, but you're literally drinking out of the tanks that the cows drink out of. That is insane. I did not know that about the Arizona Trail. <laughs> if you yeah, can tell it, from how fucking surprised I am right now, dude, that's gross. Yeah, a lot of the uh, a lot of the water sources that I would skip on the AT. If I found those water sources on the Arizona Trail, I was like, I was super super happy because that meant that I could get clean cold water. Like if there was algae in the water, I was like, oh, I don't care. Like thank goodness it's just algae and not like a cow patty. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to be drinking your water straight out of that stuff then. Holy shit. Like a lot of some, not, I shouldn't say a lot of people. Some people do that on the AT. Yeah, you're going to you're going to want a filter for the Arizona Trail folks apparently. Um I dude, I got to this is like piqued my curiosity now. I got to ask how like often did you like have to drink out of these like let's not even say that the the metal tanks let's just narrow it down to like the holes in the ground kind of that you mentioned there like how often were you drinking out of like gross water sources like that um maybe not every day um it probably would be every day if it weren't for the water caches because there were definitely times that i would skip a cattle tank because there was a, a water cache somewhere um but it was it was it was pretty frequent so, so these what did you cattle tanks or whatever um these are like consistent throughout the entire trail it's not just like a certain section of the arizona trail that has these yeah they're pretty consistent throughout the entire trail there are some sections um that in the south more when you're in the mountains more uh that there are better streams and stuff like that and there's not as many cattle tanks because especially like for instance going through a wilderness area the cattle aren't there anyways because it's a wilderness area um, and so there's not any cattle tanks in that area. And normally when it is more mountainous, there are better streams and stuff. Um, but they're still, you know, from the Mexico border all the way up to the Utah border, there's a pretty good chance that there's a, a there's a cattle tank somewhere on the trail pretty close to you. That is so crazy. I, I already know that the title of this episode is going to have something to do with drinking out of like cattle tanks or something. Oh, that just blows my mind. I've literally, I did not know that. Uh, so that's. Yeah, that's a uh, pretty crazy, I guess. Moving on from uh, sharing water with cattle, kind of just going back to something we did talk about a few minutes ago, kind of talking about gut hooks a little bit. I guess I want to know, besides gut hooks, is there any other like sort of uh, navigation tool that you use, like uh, a popular guidebook or map uh, that kind of dominates the uh the navigation market for the Arizona Trail, which is a very awkward way of putting that, but I think you, uh, I think you get what I'm asking there. There is a guidebook that I also use. Um, it's really, it's not really more a guidebook. It's more just kind of, it kind of has like all the information you could possibly need on the Arizona Trail. Um, it wasn't as useful for, uh, for like navigating and for town stops and that kind of stuff, but it was useful for. Um, for a few other things, like kind of knowing what kind of terrain there was going to be up ahead and, and that sort of stuff. Cause it did, one of the things that was really cool about it is it talked about uh, like the actual, the mountain ranges that we would go through. It would go into kind of the history of the mountain ranges and okay. the difficulty of the section of the trail through that um, and that sort of stuff. So that was, that was pretty cool, but not as useful for navigation as uh, gut hooks. As gut hooks. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting, I guess. I, I've used gut hooks before when I through hiked the long trail a couple years ago, but I didn't bring it on the AT. However, I've, I'm kind of learning now that I'm back from the AT about like the magnitude of different through hikes that gut hooks 
has an app for. I mean, I to be honest, I always just kind of thought it was the AT, the Long Trail, and the PCT. For some reason, I thought that, which is pretty stupid looking back on it now. But they have like they even have uh, the app for some like more obscure trails that not that many people hike, like the uh, oh, what's the Mid State Trail in Massachusetts? I want to say I could be wrong about that. It's one of the one of the trails in Massachusetts that's uh, separate from the AT that it's not very popular. And they certainly have a bunch of other ones as well. So I just think that's kind of interesting. I know you said you didn't really run into too many other through hikers on the Arizona Trail, but those that you did run into, were they kind of all using gut hooks as well? Uh, yeah, I think they were all using gut hooks for the most part. I'm not sure if there was anyone that wasn't. So that's pretty much the uh, the dominant tool for, I guess, navigation and information on the trail. Gotcha. So I know that now. So when I go through hike the Arizona trail at some point in my life and share water with cattle, I know what to get. <laughs> Dude, that, that blows my mind still. Okay. But <laughs> moving on, Kyle, another thing that we kind of talked about a few minutes ago was the, uh, resupply situation, I guess. So this is something that I'm always pretty curious about when I'm when I'm learning about different through hikes besides the AT because resupply on the Appalachian Trail as you know is extremely easy there's literally except for maybe the 100 mile wilderness you know you're never more than 3 4 days max usually away from a major road crossing that leads into a town where you can get just about anything you need as far as uh, supplies and lodging goes so I guess, how does resupply on the Arizona Trail differ from the AT? And I guess just what were the trail towns like? For the most, a lot of the trail towns were pretty close to the trail. So you could actually walk into oh, and really? out of most of them. Yeah, I did. There were a few that you had to hitch to, or uh, there were some that were kind of like an in-between distance. So it was just better to hitch. But uh, yeah, most of them were pretty close to the trail. So that was nice. Uh, they are not as frequent as on the Appalachian Trail. So it was fairly common to have to go 100 miles without resupply. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was, yeah, we had to do that a, a few different times. Um, but I, I don't know. I guess it's not that bad kind of once you get used to it. Uh, and if you I was going a little bit faster on the Arizona Trail, too, um, just because for the most part, the terrain's not as up and down on the as on the AT. Okay. Uh, and so you can, you know, a, a 100 mile resupply can be four days and some change instead of like five days. Yeah. Um, the towns, most of the towns were pretty great. I didn't have to send a package anywhere. There would have been one place that I would have had to send a package to, except uh, I actually had um, someone that I had met on the Appalachian Trail, they live in Phoenix. And so when I got to the place that I would have had to send a package to, it was pretty close to Phoenix. And so he uh, he came and uh, picked me and Baker up and did some trail magic for us. Oh, and we nice. like, yeah, so we stayed at his place and able to resupply in Phoenix, which was better than having to send a package. Um, but yeah, so for the most part, it, it was fine. There weren't a lot of the resupply places were, weren't great. It was like general store type stuff. Um, there might have been, yeah, there might have been a couple of gas station resupplies, um, but you get you get used to that pretty quick, I think. Right, and there are some situations on the AT, like just a couple situations. Uh, Andover, Maine is one that comes to mind where there's really not a major like resupply as in like a grocery store or something like that. 
Um, but I mean, you can you can get away with uh, the general stores and the gas stations and stuff when you need to. Just can't be uh, super picky, I guess. So, would you recommend to somebody who wants to through hike the Arizona Trail? that they maybe send a couple resupply boxes to certain places if they, say, aren't as comfortable resupplying in those smaller stores? I mean, you you definitely could. I tend to shy away from sending resupply boxes anywhere just because I'm not really the type of hiker that likes to, you know, have to make sure that I'm getting somewhere at a certain time or anything like that. Yeah, same here. But, I mean, if you, you know, I mean, people send resupply boxes on the AT and that works, so there's definitely some places that it would it, it could definitely be useful and especially if you have some kind of dietary restriction oh yeah that's a you that's know, you a, pretty much have to yeah that's a whole different story for sure uh with the exception of that obviously i never really understood why people do resupply boxes on the at it's like you just don't need to like there's so many times where people would like get holed up in town for an extra day or two you know depending on if if you show up to town on a Saturday after the post office is closed and then there's a holiday on Monday or something, I don't know. I, I haven't really talked about mail drops too much on the uh, podcast yet, but uh, that's pretty much, we pretty much just kind of summed it up there, honestly. <laughs> I'm yeah. not a big fan. I guess sometimes when you're sending yourself like gear or things like that, then that's a little bit different, I guess. I guess if I had to give any advice to people through hiking especially the Appalachian Trail but really and any long distance backpacking trail if you're going to send yourself a box with food or whatever in it definitely try to send it to a business along the trail rather than a post office if it's possible it's not always possible but a lot of the times the businesses I guess I'll just speaking for the Appalachian Trail uh, the businesses along the trail will be willing to hold packages for hikers um, and businesses are usually open five, six, seven days a week instead of six days a week. And they're usually open for longer hours in the post office. So that is a, that is a good idea. Although I will say one time I did send a pair of shoes to a hotel in Stratton, Maine. And when I showed up and knocked on their door, they were closed for like a week. (laughs) I still managed to get in, uh, legally. I did not break in for those of you hearing this, um, still managed to get them, but yeah, uh, resupply boxes can be a little tricky. Okay, Kyle, and tangent back to the Arizona Trail. So since we're actually talking about that, uh, so the Arizona Trail, there is one section that it's useful to have a bounce box or to send some warmer weather gear ahead. Um, so the northern section of the trail down to Pine is all at pretty high elevations around, you know, like seven to 9,000 feet. And so it's really cold up there. But then in between Pine and Oracle, you're mostly at lower elevations, like in between two and 4,000 feet, and you hit some kind of hot, really hot desert sections there. And so you don't really need any of the colder gear that you uh, used either up north or down further south. But then once you get to Oracle, that's when you get into the Sky Islands. And so you go back up uh, to elevation, and there's a couple spots where you hit like 9,000 feet. And so it can get really cold up there all year round. So you definitely need cold weather gear there again. And so that's actually something that I did do is I, uh, in Pine, I sent some stuff ahead to uh, Oracle. And that definitely came in handy because it was very cold up north and very cold down south. Gotcha. I guess kind of going back to the uh, trail towns and resupply, I kind of want to know, so on the AT, the locals... This is another thing you kind of touched on earlier. On the AT, the locals are usually like pretty familiar with the trail and the hikers and all the gross-looking people that are coming in and out of their town all summer. So 
I know you mentioned earlier that the maintainers of the Arizona Trail, I, I don't know the name of the uh, the conference or the group off the top of my head, um, they've done a good job of kind of making the locals aware of the thru-hikers that are coming kind of through their towns, yeah? Yeah, so the businesses are definitely aware. Um, as far as the actual locals in the town, it's kind of 50-50 as to how familiar they are with the Arizona Trail or not. Um, so like most of the, so for instance, most of the people on the Appalachian Trail, when you get a hitch from them, they are giving you a ride. It's maybe most of them know about the Appalachian Trail and they know they're picking up a hiker. There's a few that don't, um, but most of them do. On the Arizona Trail, I think I only got a hitch from one person who actually knew about oh, the wow. Arizona Trail. Um, so most of them just had no idea. So that's another thing I was going to ask you about was uh, hitchhiking because on the AT... I, again, I'm relating everything back to the AT because that's what I know. On the AT, like most people that pick you up, at least in my experience, like know that you're a thru hiker. So I guess how often, like, did you have to, like, hit, like, how many times off the top of your head, like, did you have to hitchhike to get into a town to resupply? Yeah, so I think I hitched maybe three or four times. Uh, it might have been a little more than that, but that's kind of it wasn't that many times. Um, and like I said, most of the time when I got a hitch, they didn't know about the Arizona Trail. <laughs> but good. most of the, yeah, but most of the people out there were really friendly, so they wouldn't mind giving you a ride. The part that made hitching a little bit harder was just that um, pretty much the entirety of the Arizona Trail, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. It starts in the middle of nowhere, it ends in the middle of nowhere, and it doesn't, uh, with the exception of Flagstaff, it doesn't go through any uh, like big cities. Um, although it does go near Tucson and Phoenix, um, but yeah, so there would be times where I wanted to hitch, um, and there just weren't a lot of cars coming through. Yeah. Uh, so, like, one time I waited maybe 20 or 30 minutes for a hitch, um, but the third car that came through got me. Oh, so, nice. like, Yeah. <laughs> so, I didn't wait that many cars, but I had to wait a long time just because there weren't that many cars coming through. Nice locals. They don't want anybody to be stranded out in the middle of the desert or wherever the hell you were hitching from. Yeah. That's kind of crazy because on the AT... Again, relating this back to the AT, but on, on the AT, like I said, like the locals are usually familiar with the through hikers, and because of that, I feel like you get picked up not only a lot quicker, but you get picked up by the kind of person that wouldn't normally pick up a hitchhiker. Now, not judging, like pick up hitchhikers if you want to. People listening to this, like do whatever you want, but personally, I don't know if I would pick up a hitchhiker. You know, if I didn't think they were like a hiker on some sort of backpacking trip, I guess. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> Were you, this is just me kind of being paranoid, I guess, but like, did you ever like kind of get sketched out about the fact that you were going to get picked up by people that didn't really know what you were doing that uh not not really like i said most of the people that uh that picked me up uh were pretty pretty nice and friendly and most of the people in arizona in general were so i wasn't too worried about that um but one of the one of the more unique hitches that i actually got was uh down uh, after i finished the trail i didn't arrange for like transportation like a shuttle from the trailhead uh, i figured i would just get a hitch because i knew it was close to like a um, it's not a national park, but it's, it's like a national park or something like that. Okay. Um, but it's actually not very popular at all. And it's in the middle of nowhere. So I would recommend um, coming up with travel <laughs> arrangements before. But what ended up happening for me was while I was walking on the town, into town, I was hitching. And the first car that came by and the one that picked me up was a uh, Border Patrol. Uh, person, oh, so. shit. I, I guess that uh, I guess that makes sense. And he just like 
was like, yeah, hop in. Like, I'll get you out of here. Yeah, he was super friendly. It was kind of funny because I had actually walked by him a little. I walked probably like two miles before he drove by and picked me up. Um, and I, when I walked by him, I didn't think to ask him for a ride or anything. Cause I kind of assumed he was working. I mean, yeah. Like why, yeah. Would, why would a law enforcement officer just like pick up like some gross ass dude with a backpack with God knows what in it? That's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I guess I should ask, did he, did he like know what the Arizona trail was? Like he, did he kind of know? He, uh, he had never, um, he was familiar with the Arizona trail, but he didn't know about it. And I was the first hiker from the Arizona trail that he had picked up, Um, but he was like, he was super friendly. And like, he was like, Oh yeah, you should have like tapped on my window and asked if I was heading into, into town. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely not going to just like tap on a border (laughs) patrol officer's window, but, uh, but thanks. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, he, he was super friendly. Uh, and he knew about the Arizona trail, but he hadn't, uh, he hadn't really done much hiking on it or he didn't really know, uh, he hadn't like picked up anybody hike there is on a trail that's hilarious hopefully he like picks up more hikers in the future if he ever patrols back over there again that'd be funny what if like what if like the border patrol guy like starts a little side hustle while he's working just like shuttling hikers and stuff (laughs) that would honestly be a really good idea (laughs) i mean he's not getting paid right now because the government is shut down i'm breaking my no politics rule by the way so um yeah maybe border patrol in arizona look into that (laughs) no but um yeah that's crazy i can't imagine like getting into a like a law enforcement like vehicle at the end of a through hike when you're just like so gross dude i don't even know okay so one thing that i kind of want to go back to and again we did touch on this a little bit at the beginning but i kind of want to know more specifically about the diversity of the terrain so i'm not from arizona i apologize i i've been to arizona like once when i was younger like i really don't know too much about Arizona I just kind of pictured it as a desert but it sounds like it's not so I kind of want to know um like what different types of terrain were you uh like seeing besides just like the desert I don't know like just kind of describe like the environmental changes you were witnessing I guess so I guess kind of going from north to south uh it actually started off in a pretty desert-like environment uh but then it quickly changed into uh pine forests and aspens and stuff and actually, um, something that I was not expecting at all, uh, but which was really cool is a lot of the aspens were in the middle of changing colors. So I got to see some fall colors on my through hike in Arizona, which was something that I was not expecting at all. But yeah, was super cool. no kidding. <laughs> and then, um, and then obviously after that, you hit the Grand Canyon. Um, and so the Grand Canyon is, you know, a big canyon. Uh, and there were some more canyons too down south further. Um, but then once you climb back out of the Grand Canyon, it was kind of those pine forests for a while. And then uh, once you got down a little further south, you got some more canyons and then some more of what you would consider like the traditional desert terrain. And that um, the desert terrain was it was a little bit cooler than I expected it to be because a lot of it was mountainous. Uh, So it's like mountainous deserts. uh, But then there's like the plant life is these like shorter trees and bushes and stuff. And then like a whole variety of cacti and so it's one of the things that I really liked about the Arizona Trail was that most of it's pretty open. So like even when there are these trees and stuff in the the portions that are more desert-like, there a lot of them are shorter and they're a little bit more sparse. So while you're climbing a mountain, you can like turn around and you can see, uh, you know, a gorgeous view and you can see everything below you. Unlike on the Appalachian Trail, where most of the time you're just kind of like stuck in the green tunnel. Yeah, just kind of riding the green tunnel out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that that's pretty crazy because yeah, I mean. Other than maybe the Presidentials and Franconia Ridge 
on the AT, you're pretty much in like similar terrain the entire time. So I can't really imagine like going through like such different terrain. I guess the PCT is probably similar in that. I know there's a, a big section of desert uh, in Southern California, but I'm assuming like the PCT just from seeing pictures and not being, you know, a complete, complete dumbass. Uh, there's probably a, a pretty good like range of uh, diverse terrain on there as well. So I don't know. That's uh, that's yeah. something I'd definitely like to check out. To hike a trail like the PCT or the Arizona Trail where you're not just seeing the same things every single day. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the things too that makes it a, lo- a little bit more unique on the Arizona Trail is that while you do see those changes over time as you go north to south, you can also hit all of those different climates in one day specifically in the southern sections where you have the Sky Islands, because the Sky Islands, the, there's the desert terrain below, which is at maybe around 3,000 feet, and down there you have all the cacti and um, some more desert rolling hills and that sort of stuff. Uh, but then you can climb up to over 9,000 feet, and on the course of that climb, you'll hit some hardwood forest, and you'll hit uh, pine forest and some more like rocky areas, and oh, wow. some of the yeah, some of the sections I was in, um, in the south, when I was up at like 8,000 feet, it felt like I was in New Hampshire or Maine, even though I was in the middle of the Arizona desert. Yeah, that's, uh, that's again, just totally unique to me. I, I, uh, I kind of want to make it out west. I'm not sure how I would fare in like a hot desert, <laughs> honestly. my uh, I know when I, when I, I was hiking a peak called Swift Current Peak in Glacier, I mean, obviously, Arizona is going to be a lot hotter than Glacier. I guess it depends on the time of year and all that stuff. But I was not used to, like, hiking in, like, open, like, sunny, like, terrain, I guess. And I actually ended up coming down with, like, the beginning stages of, like, heat exhaustion at one point. Like, I was starting to get, like, nauseous and I was just really dehydrated. So, I don't know. I I don't want to limit myself because I do want to hike the PCT. I've said that on some other episodes, but... Yeah, that that's going to be a pretty big adjustment for me for sure. Kind of hearing you talk about it is is making me excited for it though. So, one last question, I kind of specific question I have about the Arizona Trail, and then we're going to get into some stories. So you mentioned that the trail goes through Flagstaff, Arizona, and that's a pretty big like city for trail standards, anyways, right? Yeah. So Flagstaff. Um, so the section of trail that goes through Flags, Flagstaff, there's actually um, there's actually two different paths there. So the trail, there's a part of the trail that goes around Flagstaff and a part that goes through it. And the part that goes around it, you can still you still have access to Flagstaff for resupply and stuff. Um, but we took the route uh, through it, um, which was it was actually pretty cool. Flagstaff's a super cool uh, city, and it just um, goes like right straight through the fucking city. So it uses uh, it uses a lot of the like urban parks and trail systems. Uh, oh, so there okay. are yeah. So there is a part where you're like in the city, but for the most part, you're on some form of a trail. It's just like uh like a trail that's on a park inside the the city. Oh okay. Oh that's that's a that's pretty cool. Honestly, I, like I can't imagine going from like such a remote trail. You know, you were kind of talking about that earlier to just like, bam, inside one of Arizona's like bigger cities. I don't know if it's, I'm assuming it's not as big as Phoenix, but yeah, that's a, I think that's, I just think that's pretty neat. I know on the AT, I'm pretty sure the biggest trail town that I went to was Rutland, Vermont, which is not a big town at all from anybody's standards. So 
that's pretty neat, I guess. Yeah, and I, I will say too, though, Flagstaff, it, it, you probably think that it's bigger than it actually is. I don't, I don't know what the population is, um, but it didn't feel like a big city. It feels okay. more similar to the size of like a Rutland, Vermont or something. Um, it's just, uh, but it is, there is like a downtown area and that kind of stuff. So it is, it is a, a nice little town. Okay, cool. It's definitely uh, bigger than a normal, you know, trail town kind of yeah. tucked away in the corner of the mountains somewhere. So uh, that's that's pretty neat for sure. So, we are going to get into everybody's favorite part of the show. I do not know if this is actually anybody's favorite part, but it's one of my favorite parts. I ask pretty much all my guests this question, um, except for Baker. I actually forgot to ask Baker if he had any stories because I suck, but I'm not going to forget this time. So, I kind of want to open it up to both either the Arizona Trail uh, and the AT. What are some of one or two of just your craziest stories concerning your through hikes? It could be hitchhiking, weather, other people, just absolutely anything related to your through hikes. Yeah, so I don't have any like super wild stories, but I, I do have a, a few kind of fun things. Um, so one of them uh, on the Arizona Trail in regards to weather. Um, so like I said, one of the reasons that I wanted to do the Arizona Trail was to get away from the rain that was on the Appalachian Trail. Right. Um, but Arizona near the beginning of the trail uh, hit us with a lot of bad weather, including rain and snow. Uh, and there was one day and it was actually on uh, like a hundred mile stretch without a resupply where it uh, snowed for the entire day. And I was not, uh, I didn't want to hike in the snow. So, uh, and well, and Baker didn't either. So we didn't hike in the snow. We Dude, just stayed in camp all day. Um, I remember seeing Baker's Instagram post about that actually. Cause I, I was, I was like reading his uh, like daily updates or whatever. And it's like, yeah, we just didn't want to hike in the snow. So we just stayed in our tents all day. Yeah. And it was, um, it, it was pretty wild. It was actually really windy in the morning too. And I, uh, on the Arizona trail, I used a tarp. Uh, it was a shaped tarp, but it's still, it was a really small tarp. It, it's like the Gatewood Cape. Um, and so it's really small and I didn't pitch it as well as I could have. Um, and so in the morning when it started snowing, I noticed that there was some snow like on my sleeping bag and stuff. And I was like, Oh, like that's kind of weird. I guess the snow is blowing in. And, um, it ended up blowing a lot in the, uh, the snow was once the snow kind of would settle on the ground a little bit and a big gust of wind would come, it would just blow the snow from the ground into my tarp. And so my sleeping bag had like quite a bit of snow <laughs> on it that day. Oh, geez. I'm assuming, I guess I shouldn't assume, was it a down bag? It, it was, yeah. It, it ended up being fine. For the most part, it didn't get too wet because the uh, it, it was cold enough that it wasn't like, kind of melting brushed immediately. It off, yeah. yeah, and then later on in the day, the wind died down a little bit and the snow got a little bit less, uh, it melted a little bit, so it wasn't like blowing in as much. Okay, I gotcha. Oh, geez. Yeah, I am not a big fan of hiking in the snow. I've never done like a overnight hike where it snowed i've done like some colder ones like maybe like 20s like probably that's that's probably about the lowest i've done yeah i'm not i'm not crazy about like uh cold weather hiking too much i've done some day hikes up here during the winter but yeah i'll i'll uh i'll stick to summer backpacking i guess <laughs> anyways do you have any uh other stories you want to share yeah so uh, a couple other things that were 
well, so there was one day in camp too. Another thing that I did a lot on the Arizona trail was cowboy camping. Um, so I, most of the time I didn't set up my tarp. I think I did for the first week or week and a half, mm -hmm. but then after that I cowboy camped almost every night, uh, which was amazing. Um, I saw more shooting stars than I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, no kidding. The, the sky is so clear out there. And, uh, there was one morning too that a, um, so Arizona has, they have a, a fair bit of wildlife. They don't have, there are some bears out in Arizona, supposedly. Um, I didn't see any. Um, but what they do have is they have uh, wild hogs, which they call javelinas. And um, <laughs> there was one morning that uh, we were cowboy camping and a javelina just kind of like ran into our camp oh, and then geez. just like ran out. But it was kind of funny just the way it like, it just like ran in and looked around and was like, oh, like these people aren't supposed to be here. <laughs> these guys smell like shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting out. Dude, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. How many of those, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word. How many yeah, of those, like, yeah, those things, like, how many did you, like, see? Like, how often were you seeing those on so Arizona? So, that was actually, that was the only javelina that we saw. Um, we did also see some elk, because um, there's some elk up in northern Arizona, kind of around, like, the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Um, so we saw an, an elk up there and then we saw a lot of deer. Um, there's a couple different kinds of deer out there. Um, but yeah, only, only one javelina and actually only one elk. I know on the Southern part of the AT, apparently there's like wild, like boars, I think is what they call them over there. And, uh, that was not something that I realized until I was like hiking through the Smokies. I don't know if you remember that like fence in the Smokies that was yeah, like Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I like saw that and I was like shit wait a minute like why like that's a thing like i have to watch out for like fucking pigs that are gonna try to attack me apparently they're pretty nasty too i don't know i didn't see any i don't really remember talking to anybody who did but yeah no thanks yeah one thing there um as far as like desert creatures too i saw we saw a few tarantulas um none crawled on me while i was sleeping so that's good or at least i wasn't aware of any that crawled yeah. on me while i was sleeping no thanks but uh i only saw one rattlesnake on the arizona trail um, and I saw two on the Appalachian trail. So less rattlesnakes on the Arizona trail than the AT, at least for me. Oh, you only saw two rattlesnakes. You lucky son of a gun, dude. I saw, I think I saw five rattlesnakes and two copperheads. And I almost, I don't, I can't remember. I might've told this story in another episode, so I won't go into the details, but yeah, I almost stepped on a rattlesnake at one point, which was not fun. Up, up in Vermont, we don't have any like poisonous snakes. And, uh, that was, <laughs> I was not about that. I'm not looking forward to hiking in snake territory again. So yeah, there's been every time I've seen a rattlesnake, I've almost stepped on it. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's been pretty bad because the rattlesnakes, they, they blend in and most of the time they're just laying right across the trail. And so when I'm like hiking and in the zone, I don't see them. And then right when I'm about to step on them, that's when I see them. And then I have to like back up. At least you see them first instead of uh, hearing them first, which happened to me a couple times on my through hike. So yeah, yeah, not a big fan of rattlesnakes. I think I actually read when I was doing some research after I almost stepped on that first one. I think I read that Arizona has the most rattlesnakes out of any state or something like that. So supposedly, from what I heard, this is what a couple people, like locals, told me, is that uh, most of the rattlesnakes were probably hibernating during that time. Um, I don't know what exactly rattlesnake oh, hibernation okay. looks like. I think they just kind of, like, huddle together to, like, stay out of the cold. They go in, uh, like, a that's den. that's probably why I didn't see many. Yeah. Dude, I actually know this because I, I tell you, I did a lot of research about fucking rattlesnakes because I hated them so much. I wanted to 
know as much as I could. And yeah, I'm pretty sure they just like go into like a den somewhere and like like just huddle up with like other kinds of snakes and stuff too. It's like just a big snake mosh pit for like a couple months, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that sounds that sounds <laughs> terrible. I would not want to stumble upon. Oh those. my dude! Sometime you should Google like GoPro in rattlesnake den. Like people will oh, take gosh, like that sounds terrible. It's like your palms will be sweaty immediately. Like they literally will take like a sticker like some sort of pole and like attach a gopro to the end of it and then just like stick it into a rattlesnake den. <laughs> i don't know why i'm talking about this right now that shit is crazy uh let's let's go back to uh some trail tales do you have any more stories that you'd like to share before we kind of wrap this up here uh yeah so actually one more um so vermont is famous for being very muddy um, and when I was in Vermont, it was very muddy. So there was a couple days where I was walking through mud that's anywhere from like ankle high to, uh, you know, like shin high. And um, while that mud was really bad, there were uh, there was one day in Arizona that we were walking through some really nasty mud that rivals the mud in Vermont. Um, the mud that we were walking through, it like it was the real thick clay like mud. So every time you would take a step. It would stick to your shoe oh, just and so like sucking your feet into the ground yeah yeah well and so the mud would come up with the shoe so each shoe weighed like between one and three <laughs> pounds even though normally they're only supposed to weigh one pound and it made walking it terrible and it was actually the that same day um we met uh el matador who was doing a fkt of the arizona trail oh wow and he actually ended up doing the fkt i think he finished in like 18 days that's um, insane. And but we were talking to him about that because we were like, I can't imagine trying to uh, set like trying to do an FKT attempt, trying to hike like 45 miles a day when each of my shoes are just completely loaded up with mud. Yeah, that's got to be so frustrating. I can't. I can't imagine. Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, I can't imagine hiking like 45 miles in a day. But <laughs> second of all, yeah, dude, that that's gonna be pretty frustrating, right? You're just like cruising along, like you know you're well on your way to beat the fkt and then all of a sudden you're just like slowed down like slugging through all this disgusting mud that is no fun at all i think on that note joseph um i think we're gonna try to wrap it up so dude thank you so much for taking the time to kind of educate me on the arizona trail a little bit thank you for putting up with all my uh stutters and things that hopefully the people listening to this are not going to hear We'll see how good at editing I am. But no, nah, dude, just uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Before we go, the thing I always like to end the episode asking is, what are your plans for the future? Because, Joseph, don't tell me you you did these two through hikes and then you're just never going to set foot on the trail again. What are your plans going forward concerning uh, hiking and uh, through hiking specifically? Yeah, so my plans right now are a little bit up in the air. Uh, I do plan on doing the PCT at some point. Um, I'm not sure when that will be, probably in a few years. I potentially am going to be moving out to Colorado. So if that does happen, I'll likely be doing uh, like a section hike at the Colorado Trail yeah. or something like that. So trying to piece that together over a few months. Um, but yeah, no, no concrete plans right now, but... Uh, the world is open to me, and I definitely plan on hitting the PCT at some point. Good stuff, man. Yeah, I don't really know too much about the Colorado Trail, but that's another like one of those like uh, long-distance trails that I'm interested in learning about. So if anybody listening to this has hiked the Colorado Trail or you know a friend or enemy that has hiked the Colorado Trail, let me know. I'd love to have them on the show. So 
I guess uh, I guess we're pretty much done here, Joseph. Actually, do you want to plug your like Instagram or social media at all? So my uh, Instagram is going to be at underscore Joseph P. Cool beans. All right, man. I think we're going to sign off. Don't hang up on me just yet, but to everybody listening, thank you very much for listening to episode number 11 of Trail Tales. Leave a review. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> I cannot say that without cracking up. So yeah, just thank you for listening and have a good one.